This morning I um, decided that I thought I would take a little bit of a break from uh, John simply because July 4th is this week. And uh, I thought we would, would talk a little bit about freedom. What does freedom mean to us? What, does, what is um, real scriptural freedom actually show us? And so this morning we're going we're gonna to take the definition of freedom that Webster gives us. And we're going we're gonna to compare Webster's definition of freedom uh, to a little bit of scripture. So Webster decide, defines the word freedom like this. Number one, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And number two, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. So that would be the two top definitions uh, that Webster would, would have for the word freedom. So this morning, what I'd like to do is look at those two separately. And so let's start with the first one. When we look at this first definition, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, we can apply something that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'd like to take a moment to reinforce something. Um, I'd like to reinforce something that I talked about last week. And this is something that I, that I touched on at the end of the sermon, but I felt like I was kind of rushing to get done. And it's just something I think we really need to understand. So if we look at John chapter 11, 43 and 44, this is where we kind of ended our sermon um, last week. And it's this, when, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I made this point last week, but I think we need to really, really hone in on this so that we understand this. This is something that was like an aha moment for me when I read this story a week and a half ago. And it's this, when Lazarus came out of the grave, when he walked forward, Lazarus was completely alive. The Bible tells us that when we accept Jesus, we pass from death into life. Lazarus had passed from death into life. He had been given new life. He had been given full life. He had been given complete life. But when he got to the edge of the tomb, he was still wrapped in grave clothes. He still had dead man's clothes on him. And he had to take them off. Folks, that is really us a lot of times. Christians, for example... We read in the Bible that we receive full life and abundant life and we receive freedom. But too many times we walk around with grave clothes on. We walk around with with dead man stuff wrapped around our legs and we trip it up. We trip up on it all the time. And so it's important for us, part of this idea of freedom, part of this thing that's, that's in us to become alive and to be able to move is we gotta ha- we got to get rid of the dead man clothes. Part of that takes identifying it. It takes looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, i got dead man clothes on. There's things in my life that got to go. And when they go, we receive freedom. The ability to move and be who God truly called us to be. How's that happen? John 8, 31 and 32. We looked at these a couple weeks ago. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says it very plainly. Sin causes slavery. Sin causes bondage. The truth brings freedom. No matter how much we try, how many times we say we're not going to do this or that, the only real freedom, the only true way to walk in freedom is through Jesus. Through membership in God's family. I urge you one more time, stop walking in dead man clothes. Those sins, those attitudes, hurts, bitterness, all those things that imprison us, all those things that enslave us can be taken off. Step into true freedom. So we've talked about that kind of freedom before. We've heard sermons preached on it, and it's an awesome promise. It's an, it's an awesome exchange that happens when we step into life. Now let's get to the second definition of freedom. And it's something that I believe we, we need to talk about. And quite honestly, this next section, I promise you I'm going to step on some toes. I promise you I'm going to. I'm going to challenge you. But I really feel like I was challenged this week with some of my attitudes when I look at this second definition of freedom. In several places in the Bible, it talks about being free from the law. Speaking specifically to the Jews. Who during the time of Jesus, they, they lived uh, life trying to obey the law of Moses. And so the early church needed to address this. Definition number two, again, was the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. So when we look at this definition, I think it's really easy for us to look at current events. This past week, there were a number of decisions handed down by the Supreme Court in our country. It was announced that uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring. And so we're going to be getting a new justice sometime. And one of the jobs or the primary job of the U.S. Supreme Court is to, to protect the U.S. Constitution. It's to uh, make sure that laws uh, enacted and enforced are done in such a way that it does not go against the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. And so that's part of the makeup of our Supreme Court. And that all sounds good and wonderful, that everyone is free to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The First Amendment protects my right to stand up here and preach the gospel. The First Amendment also protects someone else's right to disagree with me. To tell me I'm full of malarkey. That there is no God. That I'm leading you guys all astray. That this book is a book of lies. They have the right to say that based on our First Amendment. Speak things that I believe are completely against what the scripture says. Now listen, I'm not going to stand here and say the first amendment is wrong or that I don't agree with it. But listen to me closely. I believe there are times when we as Christians need to be very careful how we exercise our freedom of speech. We need to be very careful how we exercise our freedom. I believe this definition of freedom act, speak, think as one wants without hindrance or restraint has infiltrated the church in a not so good way. I believe there are things that Christians are choosing to do today and calling it freedom that are actually quite destructive. What do I mean? I'm going to ask you to go with me on this. Okay? I've got I to take us on a little journey so we can see what I mean. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. 
I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Galatians 5.13 You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 1 Peter 2.16 and 17 Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Paul and Peter are saying here that we do have freedom in Christ. What Jesus did on the cross freed us from the law of Moses. No longer do we have to live life trying to satisfy a gift of do, uh, a list of do's and don'ts. The law. Now the only requirement is faith in Jesus. That's the freedom Paul and Peter are talking about here. But the danger with these verses that we see here is if we pick and choose parts of these verses that we want and ignore the other parts, we're in trouble. Okay? We really love the parts, I have the right to do anything. I am called to freedom. Live like a free man or a free woman. We like those parts of those verses. Too often, though, we, make, we start to make choices in our freedom that are choices that are not of Jesus. They look like choices that, that can actually become a hindrance to others. Go with me for one more scripture. 1 Corinthians 8, 9-13. through 13. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed, destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Where am I going with this? A few years ago, uh, I was scheduled to sing at a church in Marion. And uh, as usual for me, I was running late when I left the house. And I, I get onto Route 11 South, heading towards Marion. And wouldn't you know it, I pull up behind a car, and I look through the back window, and all I see is a set of knuckles on top of the steering wheel and this little tuft of lily-white gray hair. And, of course, she's driving 10 miles an hour slower than the speed limit. And, and so I got real close trying to push her, I think. And she didn't go any faster. And I'm getting really frustrated, really frustrated, really frustrated. So I thought, you know what, this big, long stretch here, I could just blow around her and, and, get to, and, I, and I'd be totally justified because going that much slower than the speed limit's more dangerous than going faster than the speed limit. I could have ran into her. So I'm justifying all these things. But for some reason, I didn't go around her. So we get to Marion. I put on my left turn signal. She puts on her left turn signal. We turn. We go up into Marion a little ways. I put on my right turn signal. She puts on her right turn signal. Pulls into the church where I was going to sing. She gets out of her car and waves at me and welcomes her to her church. Now what would have happened if I would have went blowing around her and then she would have seen me up there singing in front of her church? Probably wouldn't have been too good for my testimony, how about it? So we think about things that we do 
Think about the times you, you yell at somebody. Think about somebody times you, you gesture at somebody on the highway or you blow the horn at somebody or you, you, the waitress doesn't treat you too well at the restaurant and you don't leave her a tip. Now let me step on a couple toes. Think about the times you're standing around the break room at work. The off-color jokes that are going on. What about the time you, you take a peek at the Sports, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition that's laying on the counter? What about the time you, you rip into school board members or, or the administration or the teachers and you post inappropriate stuff on Facebook or Twitter? Tearing into people that we disagree with. You know what? I've heard time and time again people, people qualify that or defend that by saying, I'm just speaking the truth. You know what? There's a right way and a wrong way to speak the truth, according to Scripture. It's not just important what we say, it's important how we say it. We need to treat people with love and grace. If we're doing that here, we need to live that out there as well. And here's where I'm going to step on some toes even worse. Let me go somewhere on this touchy subject that I think applies to this verse that I'm going to call out. Let's say you're out to a nice dinner. You want to order a glass of wine or, or a beer with your dinner. And you believe that's okay, according to Scripture. I'm not going to argue with that, except this. I want you to truly think about it before you do that. Imagine with me, if I am at a local restaurant on a Saturday night, and I choose to have a glass of wine or a beer with my dinner, And the next morning, one of you all invited my waitress to come to church here at the spring. And she comes in and she sits in the back and she says, well, that guy there's the preacher and he's no different than anybody else. Now, I'm not arguing the merits of having a glass of wine with dinner. What I'm arguing is, how are we protecting our testimony? The world needs to see that we're a little bit different. The world needs to see that that there's something different about us as Christians. I'm not talking about following rules and regulations. I'm saying my attitude is I want to protect her, that waitress. That's more important to me than having a drink with my meal. Here's another one. Let's say I'm having a party at my house and I serve wine and cheese. And my attitude is, well, you know, we're all adults coming. And you can choose whether or not you drink a Pepsi or a a glass of wine. Do you know the background of everyone who's coming to that dinner party? Is it possible that they might have a trouble with alcohol? Is it possible that they're longing to be in a relationship so much that they'll partake just to be part of the crowd? You see the danger? I'm exercising my freedom. But in exercising my freedom it's possible that I could be harming someone else. My expression of freedom cannot turn someone away from, away from Jesus. Quite honestly, we have to be careful to where I don't allow my freedom to cause someone else's bondage. I'm getting lots of hard looks. You all with me on this? 
So if I'm free to do as I please, but that freedom causes trouble for someone else, why does God give me the freedom of choice? Why does he give me the the freedom to be able to make choices like that? Here's the deal. I don't think the problem is that we've been given freedom. I think the problem is we misunderstand freedom. We, We misunderstand its purpose. We misunderstand the power that comes with it. So let's go back to those first three verses. So 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. I have the right to do anything you say, but nothing is bene- you say, but everything is benef- Holy cow. I'm going to start over. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Next one. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another with hum- humbly and love. The next one. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Listen, the last time I highlighted the beginning of those verses. Now I'm going to highlight the end of those verses. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Through love, serve one another. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Here's the deal. Our personal freedom can never be at the expense of others. In fact, when it comes to our interaction with the world around us, the point of our freedom is to serve others, to build up others, to love and honor other people. We live in a society today that shouts, my freedom is about me. My freedom is for me. My freedom is all about whatever, whenever, however I say it is. That's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is quite the opposite. My freedom's about you. My freedom is for you. My freedom is about doing whatever I can, whenever I can, however I can, to serve you, to lift you up, to honor you. Jesus put it very plainly. Listen to this carefully. We've read this a whole bunch of times. I've preached on this next scripture. In fact, this is one of my favorite scriptures in, in the Bible. But listen to it. Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen, I've never looked at this, this, these couple verses this way before. We have to get this. We have to have to get this. Jesus tells us here in these couple verses what His purpose is. His purpose is to proclaim good news to the struggling with poverty, physical poverty, spiritual poverty, liberty to the captives who are bound in sin, sight for those who are hindered by physical, emotional, spiritual blindness, freedom for those who are suffering from the oppression of the enemy, to proclaim the canceling of all debts, to stamp out the bill of sin and iniquity paid in full. We get all that. All those things are available to us. But I ask you a question. In Jesus' description of what he came to do, what's in it for Jesus? How do we get all of those things that Jesus came to do? The only way we get those things is through the sacrifice of Jesus. True freedom comes through sacrifice. And if we are Jesus' disciples, if we are becoming more Jesus-like, We have to understand that freedom at its very core is not about what I get. 
Freedom at at its very core is about what others get from me as I exercise my freedom. As a follower of Jesus, when I receive freedom from whatever held me in bondage, my freedom is now for others. Jesus said something very plainly. We as his followers have a powerful, powerful responsibility. Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we have received this freedom provided to us through Jesus' sacrifice. And now we are light of the world. Jesus commands us that we are to let our light shine. Acts 13.47 says this, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The way that we are light, folks, is because Jesus sacrificed and gave us freedom. What is one of the best ways for us to be light to the world around us? Sacrifice for them. Sacrifice for them. That's what true freedom happens. Our freedom is the light of the world. When people see how we are living free from the slavery of sin, we stick out in the world. So I have to ask you this morning, is your freedom shining a light on you? Or is your freedom freedom shining a light on others? How are you exercising your freedom? For your good or for someone else's good? Let's pray. Father God, thank You for examples like this in Scripture where we can, we can look at a topic like freedom and, and, and You just lay it out there. <laughs> you're, so, you're so good at giving us the truth right there in Your Scripture. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for, for giving us the minds and the hearts to be able to understand what You're saying. And Father, I pray that as we exercise our freedom we would not be inward focused, but we would be outward focused in the choices that we make. That when I have a choice in front of me where I get to exercise my freedom, Lord, I, I pray that I would look at those choices in the light of how it might affect someone else. Lord, I pray that we would less and less become a me, me, me generation. And become more of a you, you, you generation. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the example of sacrifice for those around you. I pray that we would follow in your footsteps. That we would be true imitators of you, Jesus, in the sacrifice for the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.